I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Real Huntings Podcast. Before we jump into this episode, we did have a little warning we wanted to pass by to you. Yeah, we just want to let you know this episode does deal with uh, some sensitive topics like uh, such as suicide and uh, enslavement of uh, people. And so, you know, if those are our triggers for you, we just want to caution you on that. We think it's a really great episode. We hope you listen to it, but totally understand if you want to sit this one out. Yep. And with that, on to the show. What's up, everyone? I'm Noah Daniels, and we're here for another episode of the Real Hauntings podcast. On this episode, we are celebrating the return of Kat and JJ from their summer vacation. Guys, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. <laughs> it's good to be back. Yeah, and we can't hear all about your vacation. But to do that, you'll have to subscribe to the Patreon. So jump on that Patreon. Oh, we've got yeah. some shout outs we'll need to do as well as we've been getting some new Patreon members, which we're really excited about. And on this episode, we have an awesome guest from New Orleans. Ryan, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thank y'all so much for having me. Yeah, it's nice to like come back from we were just in New Orleans for a few days and to come. Oh, really? I miss y'all. Yeah, it was amazing. That's cool. cool. We're not allowed to talk about it too much. Right, we're saving that for for the Patreon. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I actually joined the Patreon right before uh, dialing in, so uh, I am one of the top tier members now. Oh, hey, help contribute. 
Yeah. Thank you so much. That's really well, cool. You're the one that I was texting excitedly about to Kat and JJ. So that's uh, <laughs> that's very funny. cool. Uh -huh. <laughs> awesome. Well, Ryan, before we get going too deep, as you know, um, you've listened to some episodes, we like to find out where our guests are on the believe o meter. How spooky are they really? Zero meaning you don't believe in ghosts at all, and 10 ghosts are absolutely real. Where do you fall on that scale? I would say about a 6.66. It took me, a, my brain is still on vacation. So I was just like, all right, very specific number. But I, I get it. I'm with you. Wow. There you go. There you go. JJ's like a math and science guy. I can relate to that. <laughs> well, Ryan, how did you find the podcast? How did you get into Real Hauntings? I was in the middle of doing some uh, deep cleaning and just kind of uh, looking around on Spotify, searching for uh, podcasts involving ghosts and hauntings. And uh, after uh, browsing several, I uh, kind of got sucked into one of you guys. And uh, it, no, it was actually your uh, dry, sarcastic sense of humor that uh, hooked me. Oh, I think you were telling uh, somebody there was a shadow person behind them the whole time and nobody responded. And I'm like, yeah, these, these are my people. <laughs> that, wow, that sounds Noah. like me. Noah, you need to have that printed out in frame. <laughs> <laughs> I probably will. No, that's awesome. Well, I know that you emailed uh, and mentioned the Purple Mommy episode. That was one that you enjoyed listening to. Yeah, yeah, it sure was. Yeah, and it was actually a. Not only did I listen to that first one, but then I listened to like four immediately after that, and then emailed you guys right after that and y'all mentioning new orleans uh places and being interested in talking to somebody so it kind of seemed very serendipitous yeah i um i personally love new orleans i am originally from mississippi i've been in atlanta now for gosh 14 15 years but i grew up going to new orleans a lot and it, it definitely has a special place uh in my heart cat and jj i know y'all just went had you been many times before this trip we had both been once separately but it had been like years ago for, for both, both of us, us. Yeah. yeah so okay yeah it was it was fun to get to see it again and to get to go together and yeah we had a great time I'm trying to imagine what you did there as a small child Noah because I, <laughs> I feel like it's not really geared towards that but well I, I did my parents would I did go with my parents um and that was mainly like eating vacations I guess you know I'm sure they drink and had fun but as a kid I just remember us eating a ton of seafood and like kind of yeah. seeing the sights then of course in college I, I went a lot and enjoyed all the festivities New Orleans has to offer and I did go to one Mardi Gras which was crazy it was a lot of fun it was super intense but Ryan I'm curious because I think you have been in New Orleans for like around 20 years is that right uh well much more than that actually I uh, okay. spent probably about uh, 30 years in New Orleans now I only moved wow. away to go to LSU right after high school and was there for a, about six or seven years and then moved immediately back. Okay. Were you, so were you at home during Katrina or were you at LSU during that time? No, I was at LSU. Yes. I was living in okay. a three bedroom house. That was about maybe a five minute walk from campus. And all of my family uh, are from the Lakeview area, which is uh, one of the areas that was completely uh, destroyed. Mm. Wow. And uh, so overnight I had uh, 11 people living in my three bedroom apartment. Wow. Oh my God. Okay. That's that's incredible. I have a lot of questions about LSU because I have yeah, been I have been on campus once and like I'm it, it felt so crazy to me that I'm like, was this even a real thing or did I like imagine this and just like it's ingrained in my memory as like a fake memory. But I remember there being like a tiger cage on campus with like that's a live true. tiger in it. 
And there were also like like Indian burial grounds or something. Yeah, Um, there sure are, yeah. So is the campus at LSU, I mean, I imagine having a cage tiger and an Indian burial ground. Were there a lot of ghost stories on that campus? Um, I don't remember hearing too, too many. In fact, I actually, uh, the dorm that I had to live my first year of uh, uh, campus life, I was uh, immediately across the Indian mounds, which are uh, one of the big spots that people always hang out at. So, I mean, it's just something that's more historic and cool, but I've never really mm-hmm. uh, heard many ghost stories surrounding that. But yes, the Tiger Enclosure is like something like a $15 million uh, rework that they just recently did, where it's like Mike the Eighth or something like that, I think, that stays in there. Okay. Yeah, because I know they wanted to make it like a more realistic environment. And I hate to use the word humane, but make it like a a more uh, celebrated thing that the tiger was in there kind of deal. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And I'm curious, Ryan, so you kind of have experienced New Orleans post, and this isn't the uh, Katrina podcast, but just as somebody who grew up going to New Orleans, I, I haven't gotten to talk to a ton of people who experienced that and been there before and after. You know, we talk a lot about energy on this podcast. And did you feel a big shift in spirituality? Spirit? Wow. Wow. Uh, did you feel a big shift in like the energy and, and the way people felt towards ghosts and, and all of that after Katrina was so much loss taking place? Or was it kind of just eventually got back to the same New Orleans it's always been, which has always had a lot of that stuff. But I was just curious, how, how much of an effect did, if any, Katrina have on that part of New Orleans? I guess, uh, to be fair, it's probably too soon to tell. Uh, because uh, even though there is uh, that element that's basically like saturated throughout the city, that, I mean, there was just so much uh, loss and death that, you know, it was bound to be stories. But, um, you know, I, I just know that for the rest of my life, I'm going to be hearing crazy stories of uh, people, people experience staying home, sitting on top of, uh, you know, a bar in the French Quarter with just an assault rifle waiting for yeah. anything to barge through or something crazy, you know. So um, but in particular stories, that, that's a good question. I haven't heard many. Yeah, I was just curious. I, I know we um, I was in New Orleans not too long after Katrina and we kind of went through and saw some of the devastation. And I just will never forget seeing the homes, you know, the markings that they did on the top of the homes to let the first responders know and if people were alive or what have you from that house. And I just, as a young person seeing that, I think it really, it just reminded me of like, you just never really know what's going to happen. So to move on to ghosts, I'm sure the audience is like, what is happening in this podcast episode? But again, I just, you know, New Orleans means a lot to me. So it's, it's nice to talk to somebody from New Orleans and get to ask some of those questions. How old were you when you had your first supernatural experience? Was it in New Orleans? Uh, yeah, it certainly was. Um, when I'm thinking about it, uh, I was raised Catholic, and that's basically uh, what most of the people are, is like a strong percentage. So yeah, you know, when I went to Baton Rouge, I was kind of shocked to find that that, that isn't the norm everywhere. So I was just raised going to uh, Catholic schools for uh, grammar school and then high school. Uh, so there's just this, uh, you know, always this attitude of, you know, ghosts, not ghosts particularly, but of like uh, angels and demons and such. So when I was a little kid hearing all this, I would always uh, kind of uh, get worked up about it. And I've always been a very uh, empathic individual, like very sensitive to, you know, the energy of the room and people's emotions and things like that. And so uh, I was uh, worried about being possessed 
by a demon. And I asked my mom at one point, uh, like how to, you know, what do I have to do? Like, what do we do to avoid this? And she's like, oh, you just don't think about it, which is probably the worst thing you could tell somebody. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that sounds like something my parents yeah. would have told it's me. Like a, it's like a high stakes version of that game where like, if you think you're playing, if you think about the game, you just lost the game. Right. I hope I just made a bunch of people lose the game who are listening to I this. I just lost the game. <laughs> do oh. people still do that? I don't know. That was big in high school. I will say JJ's done it probably like four times in the past two months. <laughs> like you still actively play that game. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I lose the game a lot. I have that, no idea um, what you're talking about, but I'm just gonna pretend. <laughs> like <I'm> <laughs> This is it was just some stupid thing where if you thought about it, you'd have to say it, and then the somebody whole listening right now is like, "God damn it, I lost!" You know, yeah, so, yeah. And the whole somebody. class is like, "I lost the game." Yeah. If if you just lost the game, email us at realhauntingspodcast at gmail and let us know. What a throwback! And in New Orleans, I, one thing I've always heard of that I I haven't seen, but I know it's supposed to be there. Have you ever seen like voodoo stuff? Is that something that you've ever experienced? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they have a um, a lot of uh, stuff like that in the French Quarter, especially uh, you know centered around Marie Laveau. And I was doing a little bit of research just so that uh, people from New Orleans don't disown me. And uh, apparently, uh, she has her tomb in one of the above ground cemeteries that's uh, in Mid City, which uh, my family also has one too, which oh, is wow. cool. pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. So those uh, those those uh, tombs, what they do is. Uh, a family will have a tomb and the casket will be put in there for about a year or two and then uh, taken out and all the remains will be uh, scattered to that point uh, in opening up space for another family member. But people will go to Marie Laveau's tomb and leave gifts and uh, mark a big red X in chalk. And apparently she's supposed to grant wishes. And for our audience who may not be as familiar with who that is, can you tell us a little bit about her? Uh, yes, basically, she is probably the best known, uh, I would say, in the world when it comes to voodoo in general, especially the Creole New Orleans variety. Uh, she was featured in American Horror Story season three, I believe. And uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I mean, other than that, there's uh, a bunch of like touristy things in the French Quarter where you can go, you know, buy artifacts. I don't know how authentic most of it is. But um, I'd be curious to kind of seek out someone who is, uh, you know, a really uh, strong adherent and genuinely believes in this stuff. And, you know, uh, instead of kind of like the uh, Internet, you know, article variety. Yeah. And that's you bring up a good point. I'm curious. So Kat and JJ, that's a subject we really haven't touched much on on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Have you all ever experienced voodoo stuff well, or do you have any thoughts? We did, on that? we did learn a lot about it. And the very first thing we did was, uh, well, JJ planned a ghost voodoo and uh, cemetery tour or cemetery voodoo and something tour. Yeah, I think it was, I mean, it was mainly cemetery voodoo and like history. Although we didn't actually get to go in the cemetery because it's, I, it has like these high walls. And so there's very little airflow. So it's, it's been closed ever since the pandemic, but we did go by the cemetery you mentioned and kind of peeked through the gates. And we learned a lot about Marie Laveau. Um, we did, and, and we learned a bit about voodoo too, and that it's like a religion that was brought over from a lot of the enslaved yeah, people. First West Africa, then Haiti, mm -hmm. and, and then New Orleans. Um, but it was really interesting, all the things we learned, like with the mm -hmm. dolls, like originally it was really just to mark 
you know, you'd go into us and go into one of these shops or, or going to see the doctor air quotes there. Um, and they would pull down a doll that looked like you, or that they would make it look like you. And they would like, Oh, I have a headache or like I have a sore throat and they'd stick a pen there. So they would remember you when you come back the next time they could, Oh, there's that doll. Okay. They had a sore throat. Did those herbs or that like thing I had you say, did that help so that they could see, and then they would mark like what they tried so it was really more just a way like a filing system yeah to like to maintain like medical history which was so cool yeah really cool. and then and of then, course every tour everybody you talk to has maybe a different version of that like we did go into a store and you know they said it was really just like you're putting pins in the places you want to heal which is kind of the same thing but it just it's it was interesting to see how that story has translated so much over time into a whole bunch of different versions yeah now hollywood's kind of made the the voodoo doll a totally different thing mm -hmm. than what it did you all get matching voodoo dolls of each other <laughs> oh next time <laughs> we, make... we didn't do it this time but you know what we got we got some bars of soap we might carve some up and then so. another thing about marie laveau's her tomb i guess like it, it it was this whole backstory even before we went jj was like Oh, and this is what I know about the cemetery. If you see an X on any of this on the plots, that means that they're they used to be witches or or like a voodoo a priest. Voodoo priest or... Or, but that was that was another thing that had been miscommunicated over various versions of it. Do you right. want to explain what it really was? Oh yeah, I do want to bring it up just because I don't want any of our listeners to deface any yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> any grave sites. But our our tour guide basically said it was like something that a tour guide back in like the 70s or something just invented um to, to kind of like spice up the tour mm. it's been an, an issue of like you know they had to like completely recreate marie laveau's yeah, uh, tombstone said... because of how much oh, damage wow. someone apparently like just dumped a whole can of of pink pink, pink neon paint, paint on, on their and, and she said yeah, that's because she had a dream or a vision of marie laveau coming to her being like you if you pour if you paint my entire tomb hot pink then <laughs> your wishes will come true or whatever she needed done she's a big fan of clueless is that yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. Probably. she probably saw clueless in the other realm and was like i love this movie yeah i need some <laughs> flair well ryan do you know like people in your life who truly believe in voodoo or is it just something people kind of just talk about and find interesting uh, i would be the latter I, I really don't know uh anybody i mean you know people that that are interested in it and pursue that but not uh you know very intensely uh I, but um there are those people here for sure yeah, yeah. and well, i would even say like um she, she's so fascinating because her her mother and grandmother all practiced voodoo um or I don't even know the original name of what it is. Yeah, there was like different variations of the the name that kind of evolved each, each time it traveled. But. And I and I truly believe, you know, when someone is foolhardily into their religion, their faith, I believe them that they believe that. You know, I'm not necessarily 100% sure what I believe. Um, but so she was very devout, and she was also Catholic. So I don't know how that mm -hmm. mixed together. I guess you had to be Catholic back in that time or else you would get scrutinized too. Yeah, well, originally it, it was like all the enslaved peoples in the kind of French colonies were, you know, had to convert to Catholicism. Um, but then apparently they would uh, meet up after Catholic mass 
and practice, uh, you know, voodoo rituals to kind of keep alive that part of right. their uh, West African culture. And so the the amazing thing about Marie Laveau is that she just became really popular. She'd get invited to all the parties and she knew all the like, you know, famous socialites and she would get to know their maids and she would find out all the juicy details from everybody's parties and everybody's household. So she would know like who's having an affair with who or whose bastard kid is whose. And so she would run into like these elite people at the stores or wherever. And she'd be like, oh, I heard that, you know, or I know who your firstborn really is and like freak them out and trick them into thinking that she really she knew like all these things. Reader. And I'm yeah. sure she was like super intuitive and empathic and like very observant. I mean, she's a woman, so duh. But uh, <laughs> um, but I think that's a big part of how she got her legacy too. That's um, really cool. Yeah, we but love that. Yeah, that sounds very uh, very typical of New Orleans. Uh, just uh, the when you mentioned the going to mass and then practicing whatever you practice afterwards, there's uh-huh. just kind of represents the duality that uh, is New Orleans, like mm. a contradiction of culture of drinking and imbibing and just kind of being crazy while at the same time it's a city that functions in any way normal cities would so yeah. you know they, they, these uh, things just uh, kind of live together even though they shouldn't basically yeah right. and when people come to new orleans are there like specific places that you recommend that they go because they're supposed to be haunted oh definitely uh the, the main one that um i i would recommend would be uh, the Myrtle's Plantation, which uh, I was checking out before this, uh, talking to you guys, and Time Magazine had ranked it one of the top 10 in the world of haunted locations. And uh, it's about an hour and 15 minutes outside of New Orleans, right outside of Baton Rouge and St. Francisville, Louisiana. And it's a plantation house where uh, one of the slaves was uh, basically tending to the family and she would listen in to the owners to try to get the gossip like Marie Laveau would do. And um, she was caught holding her ear up to the door. So it was her left side and they cut off her left ear. Yeah. So in revenge for this, she uh, made a cake for the family and put oleander juice up from the flower, which uh, causes some really nasty symptoms, but eventually results in death. So all the children die. There's three children and the wife, I believe. And so she was... Uh, caught by the other slaves who would fear that they would be punished for it and she was hung from a tree and uh it's uh i think in 1992 there was a picture taken it's very famous and national geographic examined it you can clearly see a woman in uh right outside of the house and you can stay there overnight for i think about 160 dollars but uh there are several different things that happen over the course of the night and i've always wanted to especially like taking like mushrooms or acid or something like that just to kind of <laughs> but i don't think i'm brave enough to do that yeah that's, but i would recommend that oh my gosh well and right so in that picture where does it a do you do you see a ghostly image or something that they oh yeah at? very clearly yeah yeah it's about a you know average person height and um they were the owners were taking a picture of the uh back house roof for insurance purposes and then noticed it afterwards and uh, you could definitely find it easily if you look at it on the internet so yeah that that does sound really spooky i i kind of i just i think i would rather have an experience with like a caspery kind of ghost the super scary 
dark moments in history that bring out ghosts. I'm just worried one of those would like follow me home or attach itself right. to my kid or something. I, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're curious about it, but you know, if you pursue something too hard, you know, there, whatever you do, there's going to be consequences you can't foresee, especially with something like that. that you know, so I can understand the wariness. Yeah. And so you are- no, when we, when, no, when we do our, our seance, are you going to specifically ask for a Casper-like ghost? A friendly ghost, <laughs> yeah. I'd be really interested to know if that's just like a thing we get to Right, choose. right. Uh, it's like, no, next ghost, next ghost. It's like a video fun. game we can just cycle through and be like, well, oh, I want that one, you know? That, <laughs> right, that, yeah. That ghost, the please. The tender of ghosts, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. That's going to be quite something when we, if we can pull that seance off. Um, and, and so Ryan, is there anything that is like centrally located in the French quarter area or like magazine street around that area that is super haunted that tourists can visit? Oh yeah. Uh, the, uh, probably the, uh, the most notorious one, uh, is, uh, the Lori house, which is on Royal street. And, uh, Recently, it was owned by Nicolas Cage, uh, who had bought that, but I think he had sold it afterwards. But um, yeah, the story with that is really chilling. And, and I would warn people about uh, the details of this, just so they have a heads up, because it gets some really graphic imagery. Uh, but there was, uh, around the 1830s, there was a uh, husband and wife who were very elite socialite types. And uh, the woman's name was Delphine. And uh, she would always throw a very lavish uh dinner parties and the guests would notice that the slaves that were being uh, used to help serve everything would always be different. And uh, so there was speculation about that. But uh, I think in 1832, especially, there was uh, a fire which broke out and uh, firefighters came to the scene. And as they were putting out everything, they went upstairs and they saw that one of the rooms was uh, barred. And so to inspect the damage, they uh, opened it up and it, there was just a uh, treasure trove of horrors. It was literally a torture chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, they had uh, limbs torn off of bodies. Uh, uh, they had one woman was hanging by her uh, entrails, I believe. Oh my God. Uh, the, the, uh, there was uh, one person who had a hole in their skull with a poker sticking out of it. Uh, so uh, there was just like, uh, many many people that were after they were killed they were buried underneath the floorboards and the, the entire first floor and second floor home so uh upon seeing all this the the town was shocked and it was reported in the newspaper too but they were chased by a mob that wanted to string them up and and were never seen again they, they left without uh being caught but uh, wow. it was, uh them and their two daughters i believe oh my gosh and so what i mean i guess there's still a lot of mystery around that if since they were never captured right. like yeah, right. is is kind of the understanding that like they were like both the husband and wife were were doing this together and I, it seemed that way it seemed i mean they were uh you know it, what can only be assumed to be just sadistic practices they were both doctors from what i had read so okay. uh they had uh knowledge of the human body and uh you know maybe they were trying to uh, perfect techniques. Uh, there's really no telling. But that, the way the fire broke out is interesting as well, because uh, one slave was uh, chained to the stove in the kitchen, and uh, and Delphine had threatened to bring her to the upstairs room, and she was so uh, petrified by this that she started a fire to avoid having to go up there, and that's why the oh home gosh. went up. Wow. Oh, yeah. right. That does need a warning. That was really intense and scary. <laughs> this is the, um, 
When I was first in New Orleans, uh, I went on a tour that took us to that house. And then mm. here's the, when it was at night too, and you're supposed to take oh. a picture with your flash on it. Oh, this okay. is where you see the lady walking in front or you see the orbs upstairs. And I got orbs in my picture, but I cannot find it. I'm sitting here looking. looking really? That's cool. So Kat, you've talked about that before, right? So that was that house where that took place. Mm-hmm. I, did, I didn't realize that was the same one. Now I have heard about that house. I have not, I didn't know the full story. So that was really interesting to hear. Um, yeah, that's, that's super spooky. And Ryan, I know you said that you feel like you're someone that is sort of intuitive or, or is intuitive. Have you visited some of these places and felt kind of like that dark presence or does it usually not affect you too much? Uh, no, I definitely noticed that. Um, it's just uh, for me, more than anything else, it's never really seeing apparitions. Uh, but it's always hearing noises and uh, just have that uh, general anxiety that will well up in you that you're, you know, kind of overwhelms your senses, which is hard to record or to uh, even communicate. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've worked in the French Quarter and walked by several of these places without knowing anything about it and just felt really bad vibes in general. And when you say you've heard noises, can you describe that for us? What what that is like for you? Uh, depending on the location, uh, the story that I'm going to tell you guys definitely involves that. But uh, I mean, just, uh, you know, that 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 weird anxiety and feelings you get whenever you feel like you're being watched. And mm-hmm. uh, when I'm thinking about certain particular locations, uh, nothing comes to mind explicit, uh, but uh, definitely in the story that I'd like to share. Well, yeah, let's jump right into it. Let's hear it. Cool, cool. Okay. Yeah. So I had uh, gotten back from LSU and I was living in the city. And uh, I had a friend uh, who was trying to find roommates because his other two roommates were moving out. And this house is located uh, right in the middle of the city uptown. Like if you're looking at the city and there's a Crescent River at the bottom, if you draw a line through the middle of it to bisect it, it's right there at the bottom. So uh, it's this three-story home, which a lot of these homes are like 150 years old. So I went to go check it out. And it's three stories and enormous. And it's originally a duplex, but they uh, had reconverted it to being one uh, individual house and in the back uh, there was a pool so that's really what caught my attention i was like man this could be great so uh i had decided to go ahead and move in it was just me and uh, my other friend who was a firefighter and uh we were planning on having another roommate move in and uh so i spent a lot of time there by myself because he was at the firehouse maybe half the month and so uh just uh when i went to go check it out and see what room would be mine he's like yeah you can have the master bedroom which sounded great and i walked in and there's this really old ancient bed that was bolted to the floor, this wooden floor. And, uh, uh, you know, I was like, all right, whatever. And then to the right of that, there was a whole separate room that was, I guess, the master bedroom of the, uh, the house next to theirs, part, the other part of the duplex. And so um, I was really excited about it. But uh, as the first couple of months went by, I started to become just notice more and more kind of anxiety welling up in me and I would be alone at night watching TV uh, downstairs and uh, with all these wooden floors and kind of really high 15 foot ceilings you sound would travel really well and so I would hear steps up and down the the staircase and uh, my roommate had a dog and the dog would just sit at the base of the stairs just looking up at nothing for hours on end and I was just like man that's really curious and uh you know, I'd leave for work and I'd uh, have turned off everything in my room and I'd look up and the lights would be on and uh, it happened very frequently. And so in the room itself, um, I was just really not sleeping well in the bedroom. And so uh, 
you know, I, I was getting such anxiety and feelings about it that I asked my roommate uh, after hearing all these like steps up and down and all this stuff. It's like asking if he thought the house was haunted. And uh, he had said that, no, no, man, it's not haunted. It's fine. It's like, really? I've been living here for about three years now. You haven't seen anything? And he said, no. So uh, they got so bad that I had to basically move from where the bed was located uh, on that one side into the, the right side and like bought a separate couch and slept on that and pretty much lived there for the duration of my stay. And uh, during night, uh, I kept late hours. I work in the service industry, so uh, typically stay up pretty late. And so I uh, had this hanging kind of chandelier that would flicker on and off uh, at randomly and start swinging, swaying back and forth. And, uh, whenever something out like that would happen, I have a cat and I'd look at the cat and the cat would be looking at that too. So it's like, all right, I'm not crazy. At least the cat's seeing what's going on here. And, um, so I, uh, was, uh, tidying up about four months in and, uh, I found a kind of closet space that I hadn't noticed before that had a treasure trove of i guess the previous homeowner's possessions there was just a ton of stuff and there was a big photo album and so uh i was looking through the album kind of get more information about everybody and it was obvious that uh, a family was raised here over like a period of 50 years and um i don't know if people died in the house but it would make sense but uh so after finding that out and and uh kind of uh, looking for other things like I got this really bad feeling that uh, they like whatever energy did not want me uh, messing with that like wanted uh, felt like their privacy was violated and it was so intense that uh, within a couple of days of finding that I uh, was like all right you know what I'm just gonna go buy a padlock I'm gonna put it on the store and I'm not even gonna think about it ever again and almost immediately upon doing that, everything ceased. And uh, and I, you know, was able to coexist with whatever was living in there and never really had any kind of awkward experiences after that. Wow. So by taking that action, you felt like you kind of appeased the energy or the spirit that was in the room? Yeah, it very much seemed that way because I, I was feeling all this and, uh, you know, then finding out that after the fact, uh, you know, it kind of put the pieces together and uh, connected all those dots. But uh, I, I definitely believe that that place was got something going on with it for sure. Yeah. I find it hard to believe that none of your roommates were like, oh yeah, this is haunted. Mainly because they offered you the master bed. Yeah. <laughs> I feel right? like if you're moving in somewhere and the people who are already living there are like, you can have the master bedroom. That's a red flag. Mm -hmm. Too good to be true. Yeah. They're like, just ignore how it's bolted to the floor. No biggie. Right. That's <laughs> we have to bolt it or the bed starts floating in the middle of the night. But, you know, that's not a ghost thing. That's just gravity. That. That's right. Yeah. No, it didn't happen. <laughs> wow. I mean, did you ever feel unsafe, you know, when the chandelier was swinging or any of that? Or did you still, it, or was it just kind of an uneasy feeling? How would you describe yeah, that? For sure. It was definitely uneasy. Uh, there were uh, like another specific time I was downstairs. Uh, watching some movie late at night and all the lights were out and I was the only one in the house and I heard very audible footfalls down the steps and and if you've ever been inside kind of like a very spacious wood floored room you like that sounds travels when people are walking so I I heard distinctly somebody walking up behind me and I was laying on the couch facing the tv and I stopped it and looked around and the dog was also looking in that direction too and uh like I kind of got 
really spooked and I had to get out of there. So like left the house for a few hours and then came back. Mm. Man, this reminds me, JJ or Kat, it was one of you. I think it was just one of you. The episode we had where the uh, person from Australia got so scared living in that home. People were like moving out of their rooms onto couches and stuff. And you I remember that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. No, it was a very recent one, right? I think it was yeah. you, JJ, that was that was yeah. The, yeah, it was. It was, yeah. JJ never remembers. Everyone's story is like so unique and fascinating, but like also they kind of blend together in my head. And it's, <laughs> it's no knock on anybody's story. It's just my dumb brain. That's it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, wow, Ryan. Well, I'm glad that you were able to figure out a way to make that house habitable for you. How long did you stay in that um, location? Uh, I stayed there for about a year. And then um, after that, I just, uh, moved out i wasn't in any rush you know every once everything was kind of taken care of uh you know i i kind of you know i i do kind of miss the place i'd love to stop by it was a great location it was probably like a couple blocks from where the parades run uh oh, wow. down uh, napoleon avenue so uh it, it's just kind of cool to be in the central of anything i usually i live in the suburbs currently which is like kind of by the airport but yeah. um yeah that was really cool Awesome. Do you have like a, a threshold of like, I will put up with this level of haunting given this location or this amount of rent? Is that something you've thought about before? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess everybody kind of has their moment where, you know, enough is enough, you know, or, you know, it causes you to react uh, whether or not you're, you're thinking about it. But, uh, you know, anything that would violate your person uh, I think would definitely be that for just not, not, not only me, but for people in general. That seems like a very like Savannah, New Orleans thing that people have to consider. Like, yeah. you know, man, the, the rent is right. I'm right here in the square. Ah, but so what if ghost. the shelves every now and then it's fine there's 60 people buried under me it's oh, fine <laughs> we're so close to downtown yeah <laughs> oh man that is super spooky well ryan we're kind of coming up on our hour is there anything else you want to share with our audience before we get you out of here uh yeah, yeah definitely i've been uh helping my friends start their first restaurant in uh old algiers which is immediately across the french quarter and it's called plume algiers That's we just celebrated yeah, yeah, definitely. I wish I could have got you guys to go oh, visit, yeah. but uh, it's uh, the only traditional Indian restaurant in the city. And uh, yeah, oh, just God. really happy for those guys. And we'll celebrate our one year anniversary uh, this Saturday. Well, That's awesome. Amazing. Yeah, and we'll have well, to come down as a podcast to do some haunting stuff in New Orleans. And we'll definitely link up with you because. Uh, yeah, please do. Yeah, that would be great. Oh, we are yeah. so down for that. Yeah, I feel yeah. like the first night. Well, we stayed on Algiers Point. Um, oh, cool. If uh -huh. I said that right. And, and we love Indian food. That would have been amazing. But yeah, well, I feel like the day we got, oh yeah, we want to hear the name of the restaurant, but also the day we got there, um, we were both like, should we move here? <laughs> it's like so yeah, invited. Right? It was really wonderful. I, so love I would love to yeah. do a podcast trip there. What was the name of the restaurant? Yeah, it's called Plume Algiers, P-L-U-M-E and uh, Algiers after that. I kind of okay. wish he would have said it's none of your business. Get it, guys? No, yeah. I make that joke literally every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Ryan, I think we're kindred spirits. Yeah, you guys can hang out. We'll go on another ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Or we'll just go drink. You guys can tell us about all the puns you came up with when we get back. (laughs) Well, Ryan, as a fan of the show, you know how we end the show. With that, I'm Noah Daniels. I'm Kat. And I'm JJ. And I'm Ryan. Thank you guys for having me. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.